0: This is Comic Shannigan's episode 784, a conversation with Laura Martin. To the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 784. It's my conversation with acclaimed colorist and Eisner Award winning colorist, Laura Martin. Laura was recently on the show, actually. Um, she was on just a month ago uh, chatting about uh, her work in comics, also how she broke in. You can have a check out that episode. It was episode 774 uh, 10 episodes ago. Uh, it was originally recorded on April 28th, whereas this episode that you're about to listen to is recorded on May 28th. Um, fantastic episode. I had a great time. The only issue with the audio is we did have some connection issues. So it kind of goes in and out. Um, so you'll hear a few times where we're like, hello, hello. Um, anyways, I do apologize. I didn't have enough time to kind of try and edit it through um, this week to kind of get the episode out. Um I, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on podcast at all, but my wife and I have just uh, adopted a little baby girl. Um, so that's a lot of extra work, and uh, it's running into some of the podcast editing time at the moment, but still trying to get the great episodes out to people. Uh, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Uh, you can rate and review the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Again, the episode was, uh, the last one with Laura Barton was 774. We, go, we went through her entire career up until 2005-ish, or mid-2000s, and this is the episode where we kind of carry out uh, pick up from there and we kind of move forward with the rest of her career um, had so much fun talking to Laura she had so many fantastic insights this episode is about two hours long um, it's funny because the first episode was I think an hour hour and 15 and um, you know we joked that we'd have to have come back and because we only got up to mid 2000s and then this episode we went almost two hours to make up the last 15 years so uh, but a lot of really great insights Laura is so fascinating um, just getting her perspectives on color and the different books she's worked on so I think you'll really enjoy this episode um our next episode our next couple episodes we'll have Dave Land Fear coming back on the show and we're also going to be having and this is one I'm very excited about Roger Stern is going to be uh, coming on the comic shenanigans <laughs> podcast so that'll be a nice one to look forward to anyways without further ado let's jump right into the episode with Laura Martin Laura welcome back to the comic shenanigans podcast
1: thank you for having me again I appreciate it
0: absolutely well I mean you left us hanging we're still in the mid-2000s
1: <laughs> it's true <laughs> still got what
0: 15 years to talk about yeah that's not too much
2: right
1: <laughs> right right
0: uh, so I, I recommend people go back and listen to your first episode uh, that you were on, which was, uh, I guess, about a month ago. We were, Actually, it's funny, we're recording this right now on May 28th. I think our first one was actually April 28th. So, um, oh, wow. so has been exactly a
2: month.
0: Yeah, so more time has gone by than I realized, but that was uh, yeah. episode 774. Um, right. This episode is, I guess, 784, so it was 10 episodes ago. Okay. Uh, so uh, people can go back and check that out, and then we can uh, they can join, join us back uh, where we are now, which is in the mid-2000s. So I had a few uh, immediate questions that kind of came up during this period um, okay. so you colored over Frank Cho on, my, on the Marvel Knight Spider-Man I'm curious kind of how that kind of came up because I think you only did the one arc with Frank and his art generally has a certain palette to it so was he very specific about what he wanted or how did you guys kind of collaborate Ooh, that is uh,
1: boy that's deep digging right there um, uh, You know, <laughs> I think uh, it, was, it was fun to work with him on that He's, uh, he has a um, an aesthetic that I think I lock into pretty easily. So, um, we tend, he's, I don't remember the initial conversations, but I think he was pretty much, we're pretty much in sync right away. Um, are you know, he's, he, I, I, I love his art. I think it's beautiful. I, I was, it was a lot of fun to work on that with him. Um, and I don't recall any real, um, issues where we had a, you know, difference of opinion about, um, the, about the look or feel of the coloring so um, yeah I think a lot of it was just it sort of happened organically and we were able to just move forward with it
0: I have a question about the editorial kind of connection on this one. So, like, when you guys were when you were doing this particular book, so I mean, it was part of the Marvel Knights line, which was maybe feeling less and less like an, an extra, a, the kind of an extra thing that it used to when it was first mm-hmm. coming out. But it was still very much a kind of a prestige area, and the fact that they were doing a, a Spider-Man book as part of the Marvel Knights with Mark Millar, who was obviously you know, at, especially at the time, was really hitting big. Um, right. It was obviously a book that mattered a lot. Was there any discussion about the colors maybe popping in a? a different different way that maybe that's such a naive thing to say but obviously those books were cultivated to kind of a hit uh, a different market a little bit so like did, did, yeah. did you ever feel anything like that coming from editorial you know, or
1: not really what, what I did remember though was earlier on with, uh, with Marvel Knights when it first started up um, I was, I was uh, just freshly um, uh, freelancing I left uh, Wildstorm and I was actually working under Brian Haberlin who did a lot of the early Marvel Knights stuff and um, that was very specific in terms of having a much different look at that point in time, which was what, 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but by the time, you know, by the time I got up to the Spider Man stuff, it was more like, you know, just, you know, same as always with me, it was just you pay attention to the storyline, make sure it's, you know, it, it is a, a more, I guess, a grittier i don't know i hate using that word because that's not quite right but you know it was it was definitely a different uh more edgier feel to it than uh, than the standard with marvel lines so um i think we did sort of push that it push into that limit a little bit um but uh i don't i think a lot of it was just you know what was on the page already what frank had put down i was picking up that kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh, you know and and of course uh, Mark's scripts were very uh, descriptive and would would fill in a lot of the gaps. That you know, if I had any questions about the mood or something, it was it was often right there in the script.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, yeah. So there wasn't it wasn't so much like an overarching editorial. Hey, we must do it this way. Um, you know, because this this whole line is you know defined as such and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more like, well, you know, here's this project. Remember that this is you know a different sort of. You know, a different thread than the the usual, you know, hey, you're from the neighborhood Spider-Man, and uh, so, you know, go with that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't don't remember it being too, too different, as opposed to the way we handled, like, Daredevil back in Two thousand two thousand
0: one. 2001. So. Okay. I mean, yeah, it is obviously far enough along in that the Marvel lights again felt, started feeling less like a, a separate entity, but Obviously when yeah, it first, yeah, exactly. when it first hit, it was yeah. very much its own kind of, it's almost yeah. like its own meaning. It well, it was an imprint, right? Basically. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. and then by then it was, you know, it was different. Um, but obviously yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a good promotional way to kinda of have a new Spider Man book that um, you know, kinda of launched with a lot of pomp and circumstance because right. you know, it was it wasn't just a new Spider Man book, it was a Marvel Knight Spider Man book.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Which, yeah. I guess, looking back on it now, that seems kind of funny now that Marvel Knights is not really a, a thing that we think of anymore, it's but, you know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're working in such a, fin- a fascinating period because you have the ultimate books. You have, you know, right. Marvel Knights yeah. and all these kind of mini imprints. You got the, I guess, the, the Supreme Power Universe kind of has its own mm-hmm. thing, too. So it's interesting that, like, that that's all kind of gone away now, but at the time it was a very real thing.
1: It was, yeah, and it was and it was an exciting thing. It was like, you know, this, these new takes on these uh, on these classic characters and kind of... Uh, you know, reinvigorating uh, these concepts and, and, and introducing you know alternate versions of them and everything. And I think, uh, I think it was a, a strong uh, storytelling period and a strong visual period too. And, you know, in terms of like with especially with the, um, with ultimates and stuff like that. It was uh, it was it was a, it was an interesting experiment. And I and I certainly uh, I was glad to be a part of it for sure. And and I kind of wonder you know what happened. Where did it go? <laughs> um, uh, to be honest, though, I don't know if the market would support that many alternate universes at this point. But um, hard to tell with the market right now, honestly. For sure. Um, so. yeah, I don't know what the market can support now. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it was it was they definitely had their own sort of uh, universes, and that was really cool. And it was fun to you know be in these in these alternate places with these with these characters in these edgy weird places. So yeah.
0: During, well, I mean, throughout your career in general, but specifically to this kind of period, um, how was technology impacting, you know, your own craft and your ability to kind of deliver a high-quality product now that, you know, tools were, I would imagine, more readily available and, and a little bit better than they had been, obviously, when you guys got started in the mid-90s?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, by this time, we were definitely using more than, you know, 16 megabytes of RAM. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, while, while we were at CrossGen, while, uh, while I was at CrossGen, I worked on uh, PCs rather than Macs. I've been a Mac girl most of my life. Um, but uh, at, at um, CrossGen, we used PCs. And at first, I was like, oh, no, PCs are not for graphics, because that's what you, you knew about PC versus Mac back in the late 90s was Macs were the graphics machines. But, you know, PCs ran Photoshop just as well. In 2000, it didn't really matter which platform you were on, as long as the machine was, you know, had a... You know, it was decked out with RAM and memory and everything else. and um, Yeah, we just tried to keep up with it. It was cool that in well, we were at gen. they did send us to a Photoshop um, expo, and uh, we got to learn, we got to see Photoshop 7. This is before CS or any of that stuff. This is Photoshop 7. And it was the new brush engine. So it was all very exciting that we got to be a part of that. And we also got to be a, sort of a beta tester for um Wacom's for the first Cintiqs, the first uh, um, first uh, um, video drawing tools that they were doing. Um, so that was all very exciting and fun to be sort of on the cutting edge of that as digital artists. Uh, but the the essence of what I was doing, though, and the essence of what I still do today, is not changed a whole lot. I could literally open up Photoshop three and still, well, maybe four, and uh, <laughs> with some basic brushes, still essentially do what I'm doing now. Um, I would do it a lot slower, but uh, um, I could I could still color. You know, I could go back to the old box of crayons instead of the fancy paints, you know. But um, some of the advances, though, that have made a big difference, like in Photoshop, is the brush engine and the ability to customize, you know, tons and tons of different textures and um, techniques that uh, bring an entirely different... Um, uh, uh, it, Speed also not just not just uh, not just texture and, and depth and interesting variations of uh, with layers and effects and things like that, but there's uh, so much that you can that you can bring to it, um, it. Just in speed, you have brushes that make grass for you. You know, you ha- you don't have to paint grass. You don't have to paint every single blade of grass. You actually have a brush and you go and there's all this grass. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, or clouds. Clouds are beautiful. I have so many cloud brushes. I can't even tell you. Um, and, uh, you know, things like that. And you and you could still, you know, it's all still painting. It's all still digital painting. Even if you didn't create the brush yourself, you bought it off a set from, you know, online somewhere, you're still doing the painting. You're still, you know, that's still your art. That's still your creation. So um, as much as the technology has changed and updated and become um, far more... Um, uh, friendly to the digital artist it's still you know it, it's still art it's it's always going to be how you express yourself with the tools that you have mm-hmm.
0: so. so i have a question about that kind of idea so i mean how what what kind of inspirations or what colors of kind of of the days of your so to speak um when obviously they didn't have the digital- hello
1: oh there you are i'm sorry i lost you there for a second
0: it's okay um from before people had the digital tools enabled and they the more kind of classic, you know, sixties to eighties period. Are there any colors that you kind of look at that you are very impressed by, or just you know try to emulate that kind of feeling? Like, how do you how do you feel when you look at older work, knowing obviously what you could do now with digital tools, but seeing what they used to do uh, with the you know traditional four color processes?
1: Oh gosh, um, I mean, the one of the one of my favorite things is uh, to look back on the Barry Windsor Smith stuff uh, mm. from uh, uh, from Wolverine stuff. Um, I mean, you know, it, 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 um, Marie Severin did amazing separations with what she was, what she, she had to work with. Uh, you know, it's it's really intriguing to go back and look at this stuff and say that was they were only limited by the, you know, the, the four color process and the the, uh, the color choices that they had at the time and the way that the ruby lists and stuff. But the the magic that a lot of these colorists did with the tools they had was still just amazing. And I learned a lot about it, especially in terms of like limiting color choices and making interesting non like daytime color, I guess you would call it or non local color mm-hmm. uh, choices, you know, strange things like, you know, throwing an entire panel into, you know, yellows or reds or something like that for effect. I mean, they, those, that was, that was done way before digital. That was a total storytelling trick. Um, and you learn a lot by all of that. So um, when I first started in comics, though, I remember I, I mentioned before that I wasn't really much of a reader of comics before I sort of dove into them in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so my introduction to comics, I mean, to uh, analyzing comics, was during the image era. And uh, I learned very quickly about the coloring at Cow and, uh, um, it, you know, at... at uh, Wildstorm, wild storm top cow uh what is the other one um extreme you know all the the uh the mm-hmm. image places that we're, we're doing all digital at the time and uh that's the stuff i sort of studied hardcore immediately upon um jumping into comics uh, you know the the rest of it came the rest of my education came later when i would look back on earlier stuff mm-hmm. but uh so i guess my very first influences were um were the early image books and that sounds funny because we look back on the very early image books now, and we're like, "Oh my God, they're so garish, and they're awful, and terrible." But, <laughs>
2: uh,
1: you know, because was—it was—we were playing in, in a new field, and we got things like lens flares, and we could do crazy stuff. Um, but that was there. There was some beautiful work coming out of those studios at the time, and um, and yeah, I fell in love with it. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good answer to the question. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So,
2: <laughs> well,
1: I'm. Yeah, I have to. I'm really, really bad with coming up with names on the fly. So I know I'm gonna like. You know, after this call, I'll be like, "Oh my God!" Such and so from <laughs> blah, blah, blah and, you know, <laughs> so I'll just yeah, I'll forget all the names. So I'm just kind of,
0: you know, color is something that's always intrigued me, partially because I'm I'm colorblind myself. Oh, okay. um, which is interesting um, to um, I mean comic books are such a fascinating fil- uh, field and to a medium to be colorblind in um, and right. but, I'm, but I'm always curious that, like I'm always curious about how people come up with the colors and how they make certain decisions and the separations and I'm also curious because obviously I see something different than other people do um, sure, yeah. which it makes it again more interesting so I'm I've always I, I don't have a very good I guess vernacular for discussing color but it is sure. obviously such a such an important Important part of the work, and again, it's yeah. always intriguing to me that I see something different than most
2: people.
1: Right? Yeah, and I'm very curious about how what you see. Uh, you know, how I would I would love to see how things look through your eyes, just to experience it and uh, and understand. You know what what it is that um, that you're seeing.
0: It's more like a. I guess the best way to to probably describe it is like a reduction on shading, like. Yeah. Oh, there um, we go.
1: Oh, are you, are you there? Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm here. Just keep uh, keep keep, okay, keep I, I, almost I, losing I, each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – it would be fascinating. Like I said, it would be fascinating to see how you view the colors, like which colors you're not seeing and how they – what they turn into and mm-hmm. how the page – like that, so that's really interesting
0: to me. It's like a really bad printing press.
1: <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it's
0: like every, everything's kind of bleeding together. I guess a little bit. Um, oh no. Well, no, not I, I. I shouldn't say bleeding. It's more like again um, the the wider range of a palette is kind of lost a little. Like the sh- I, I lose right. more in the shading. Um, in terms, oh, okay, of, I see. I guess the shades between certain colors uh, I can't <laughs> always see. Like there's certain pinks like on, on clothing where I will think it's white. Um, but oh, it's but it's okay. so close to white, but it's still pink that if you weren't uh-huh. colorblind, you would definitely know it was still pink. But I just wouldn't be able to make that that call. I would be like, "Well, that right. looks white to me."
1: Okay, interesting. Wow. Okay, I've got a friend who has a very similar color. Uh, uh, she, she's similarly colorblind in that um, uh, I think it's lavenders and pinks and just end up sort of going sort of beige Mm -hmm. um, for her Uh, I think that's the colors that she said she doesn't see so well Um, so that's that's fascinating
0: I mean obviously I would be a terrible colorist
1: (laughs) magenta a lot of purples on a lot of uh, a lot of you know of course um, Wolverine was in the center in his blue and yellow costume and then he was surrounded by all these BAMFs. And mm. of course, their, their their effect is this sort of you know this purpley magenta blast. So you're surrounded in these pinks and purples, and I'm very curious how that would look to you. I mean, so that's
0: I, th- really, I feel like I still see really some cool. of it. Um, actually, you so that brings up uh, actually a question I did have for you about coloring particular mm-hmm. power effects. Um, so okay. when you when you are coloring them, I mean, how specific do you have to get to get. certain certain colors to pop a certain way and are there any particular color effects or power effects that you've feel that you've actually introduced or pioneered or brought in to the vernacular yourself
1: oh that's a good one um i think a lot of the the way that um so the the whole the whole deal are you still there
0: Oh, yeah, I I I lost it for about 10, 15 seconds.
1: Yeah, that was weird. I keep hearing Skype drop out. Um, uh, It's not so much about the color that I choose for the effect. It's the the contrast of that color against the rest of the page or against the rest of the panel. Mm. So, um, uh, for instance, um, a fire effect would show up a whole lot better. If it had a dark background, then it had a light background. Obviously, you'd see the fire better if you if it was glowing against a dark background, um, or uh, if I'm dealing with a character who uses a lot of uh, uh, green powers, I may choose to uh, contrast that with um, background colors of more in the red or burgundy field because that's the contrasting color to green. It makes green appear much stronger. Um, so there's a lot of uh, contrast is like the number one word when it comes to coloring. It's not the color itself; it's the contrast of colors against each other. Mm. The stronger you can get that contrast, the more uh, the more effective that that uh, that primary um, focus color is going to be. So you balance your your yellows against your your blues or purples. Um, you, you balance your greens against your reds. Uh, these are the cr- acro- the colors that are across from each other on the color wheel, complementary colors, and they would provide the strongest amount of hue contrast. Mm. But then you've also got brightness con you know contrast and brightness from the values from dark to light, and then If... Are you back? You're back yep, now. We're back now. Okay. Um, so yeah, you've got your your contrast of of, um, of of hue, value, value, and saturation, which are your three, you know, components of color. Um, so if I'm doing a special effect and I need it to be, or I'm doing, you know, a coloring a page that has to have, um, you know, something very dramatic going on, um, you know, powers or some sort of explosion or something, um, I. Depending, of course, it it has to go. Of course, I can't just suddenly choose colors that didn't go along with the page before. Or the page after, I have to still remain within the colors that I've chosen for the scene. Hmm. But I will do my best to bounce um, bright colors against dark backgrounds, or uh, or a um, you know a heavy saturated color against uh, a less foreground color becomes the most the, the thing that catches your eye the most mm-hmm. um that's uh, that's my long-winded way of saying that you know if it's it's not so much the color itself but it how ha- of
2: that color um
0: so I have a really w- a weird question yeah, I'm of the, uh, kind of, yeah. of coming off of that so when you are coloring a book um, this is really into the weeds so I apologize in advance um, <laughs>
2: it's
0: fine <laughs> do, do you like sorry, if, you, if, if you're trying to mirror or do a certain kind of color palette on two different pages do you generally speaking have a sense of which pages are going to be facing each other in terms of the fold um,
1: oh, and, no, not at all I have not no at all idea. <laughs> no, okay. sometimes that that throws me off because, you know, uh, there'll be a scene, you know, that's, you know, let's say it's a scene happening at night in a forest, and it's all very blue and green and beautiful and whatever, and then suddenly you've got this ad that's bright red and yellow smack in the middle of your page. You know, the left page is the beautiful, cool blues and greens and maybe a hint of yellows or, you know, glowing uh, little fairy lights or whatever. I don't know, I'm just making a scene up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that's, if you look at that page by itself, it's, you you get the full sense of being in this you know this gloaming forest and this you know mystical place, but you if you're if that's on the left side of the page and your right page is this bright red and yellow ad, it's gonna uh, it's gonna destroy the effect of seeing those colors on that on that page. Mm-hmm. It's because you're looking at both pages at once. You don't fold the you better not fold that book backward and look at the page by itself. Huh. So. <laughs> It, it, yeah, it, it's very. it can Ads can be very disruptive in that way because I never know where they're going to fall. I never know, um, you know, what what to expect in terms of, uh, you know, how how the pages fall, and you know, and, and what the ads even are. I I have no control over any of that, so that's a little frustrating to think about and so I don't I don't usually think about it too much
0: (laughs) do Do, do you know like so maybe not necessarily with an ad but like do you generally speaking know when you might have so I guess you don't know if you're going to have two pages that are
2: there you
0: are sorry you don't know necessarily if you're going to have two pages that are going to kind of mirror each other so that you can play your colors off of each page or like I, or is it just kind of, you have to kind of just not think of that and just have it for the scene, everything makes sense for the scene. And then just hope exactly. that the pagination makes yep. sense.
1: Exactly. That's the, the, the latter is the correct. So I just, I just deal with each scene as it comes and, um, make sure that the scenes are consistent and each scene has its own sort of color theme mm-hmm. so that, you know, when you're turning the page, you know, or when, when the story jumps to the next scene, you know, you're in a different, um, you know, that the, there's been a time change or a location change or whatever the case is. Um, I, so I can't really take the ads into consideration at all. No. Um, and uh, the, it, it can be frustrating when, you know, you're, and I'm sure as a reader, as also, you're, you're reading along, you're getting really into the story, and then suddenly you're like, oh, God, there's this huge ad for whatever in the middle of my book. So um, there,
0: there was a time, and I think the mid 2000s, there was a, a Spider Man kind of insert mini comic but it was mm-hmm. done in a way at, at, it didn't always, it wasn't always clear that there was a change that you were going yeah. from mm-hmm. your comic into the, this kind of mini comic about uh, anti-drugs. And I remember just being, it really took me out because I, it almost like there wasn't enough of a delineation between the two. And then suddenly you're like, what about, I lost, I lost you there for
1: a second. Okay. Sorry? sorry.
0: There wasn't a clear delineation no, no. between the two. And then sorry. suddenly yeah. you, you have this ad. It was so weird. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I'm sorry, I lost it there for a second. You were saying about you know you're never quite sure, or you weren't quite sure when you would go from the main story into the secondary story. Yeah, well, that's a tough one. Yeah,
0: to and it, it wasn't even just a secondary story. It was it was just a promotional story about anti drugs, and so oh right, and so it, it was a sp- <laughs> it was like a Spider Man Mysterio story.
1: Oh my gosh, that's funny. Or like, uh, you know, the, what do you call those, those, uh, those, those pies? That was the screen yeah. pies or something. Yeah, that
0: yeah, that right. at least felt different enough, weird. right? But this was like really yeah, yeah. really close because, the, I mean, they well, I guess they wanted you to read it. But I was like, yeah. but now I don't know what I'm reading anymore.
1: I <laughs> feel like where did Mysterio come from all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a totally different story.
1: <laughs> that's so weird. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: it was a short-lived experiment. I don't think they did many after that
1: no i bet that was pretty disruptive yeah
0: (laughs) so during during this mid-2000s period i'm curious how superman batman kind of came about and working over pacheco because i mean that stylistic is again a bit of a a difference from what you were working on at that point working with uh, john on astonishing x-men you're working on ultimates with with brian and now you have uh you know superman batman so how does that come about
1: yeah uh, it was another thing where the editor called me up and said, would you, uh, would you be interested in the book? And, and, uh, at the time it was, uh, at, I mean, I, 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 was literally just like, it doesn't fit in my schedule. Yes, I will take it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I would honestly though, I would love to work with Carlos again. Uh, I loved working on that book. I thought it was a lot of, a lot of fun. I loved working on his artwork. Um, and, uh, it was a, it was a real treat to be on that project. Um, and I, it was, it was just oh, his art is so good. Ugh.
0: Young. <laughs> it's it's interesting because this was, I mean, all all of those books were such high visibility books too, and suddenly yeah. you're doing all yeah. of them.
1: Yeah, it was crazy, crazy times. I was a whole lot more productive back then than I am now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were hungrier.
1: I was hungry. I was hungry, and I was young. So yeah. <laughs>
0: Did you, did you feel that the, you know, the, the years you spent at CrossGen, I mean, obviously they were very interesting and, and informative, but coming out of that, it definitely feels like you kind of t- attacked things and as many projects as you could with such a vigor.
1: Um, I think I did because I was suddenly a freelancer again. You know, I mean, I, I had a, I had a salary job and it was, you know, and I'm the time by the time voucher came around I know I dropped out there again for a second yeah. um, uh, where did I leave off
0: uh, uh, just that well basically st- starting about the question, you're working as a, as a salaried employee
1: right that's right yes yeah. so yeah uh, suddenly I was freelance again and uh, I was nervous about being freelance so I, I wanted to be on everything and the editors were happy to comply and, and projects came to me and I overdid it I think on a lot of things I actually Took on too many things uh, and ran into some trouble with some scheduling, so um, I learned a hard lesson on that one. But, um, but yeah, it was it. It did seem like I was on a lot of projects and a lot of good projects. And for a while there, from two thousand eight to two thousand no two thousand nine to two thousand eleven, somewhere in there, I was exclusive to Marble. So I had you know these these, and they would put me on the big summer. Crossovers and um, the big, the big projects like that. on. When I, there you are again. Um, So I was doing a lot of work, and then I was like, "God, I can't. This is too much. I've got to step back a bit." And Marvel came to me and said, "You know, would you be interested in, in being exclusive?" And I said, "Yeah." Can I do it for two books a month? And they said, "Yes." And I said, "Yes, please. Let me just do two books a month." <laughs> so um, it was it was actually a relief to only do well end covers and occasionally the extra projects they would throw me. But uh, yeah, it was uh, that was my way of sort of going. I need to I need to just slow down here and just do you know a couple books a month and know that I've got that work coming in. Mm. Um, you know. The freelancer mentality is always, you never know when the work's going to dry up. It doesn't matter how how sought after you are. It doesn't matter how, you know, the, the size of the projects you did last. It's always, you're always, you know, it's always uncertain. There's always a level of uncertainty being a freelancer. So, um, yeah, the contract was definitely me going, I need to, I need, I need a safety net. And, uh, and I just want to, and Marvel was treating me really well. So, mm. um, yeah, so I wanted to just step back and do that for a bit and then by the time that was up I was like okay now I'm ready to dive into you know create our own projects and different stuff like that and smaller smaller projects that maybe don't have the sales numbers like Marvel but are really interesting and not the kind of stuff that Marvel does mm-hmm. um, you know like uh, well I mean now I'm sort of jumping forward but like Ragnarok for instance you know that's uh, through IDW it's something that I would not have worked on um, or, or something that wouldn't have happened at Marvel at all so um Yeah, I mean, you know, I really wanted to um, spread my wings again. I sort of go through these fluctuations where I'm like, yeah, I want to do everything. And then I'm like, oh, that's too much. God, what am I doing? So, yeah, it happens.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So, again, one of those kind of bigger projects that was coming out in that mid-2000s period is working on a book like Serenity. So I'm curious how that came about because it's obviously very different from your typical – Hope you dropped out there again yeah sorry. sorry uh so working on serenity it was obviously very different from your typical kind of superhero work you've been working on for a while at that point yep. especially so what was it like to first yeah. get that job was firefly uh, something that meant something to you at the time and what was it like to kind of jump into that world
1: oh my god that was like that meant that was that was the best i was so excited to be a part of that world i mean i it's funny because when I was first brought on to Astonishing X Men, I didn't have I knew I knew some of what uh, Joss Whedon had done. You know, I wasn't I, I wasn't like a diehard fan, but I but between the time I did Astonishing and the time it was on Serenity, I was like I absorbed Firefly. I absorbed Firefly and got into Buffy and got into Angel and um, all these other things. So yeah, by the time they you know Dark Horse came to it said there. know would you be interested in the serenity book i was like god yes please i will i will do anything to be on this book and the problem was that was one book too many Mm. and uh by the the last issue um it was very late and that was my fault um it really was i took it out of love and i really really should have sat back and said this is too much um but i couldn't say no not to not to that project i couldn't say no hmm. so you know, that was a tough call that was the one that taught me a lesson
0: <laughs> i mean i guess in the long term that's a good thing
1: yeah it is it really you have to you have to not stick your heart out there and just you know to do all the projects that you absolutely love because they'll kill you uh, yep. or you'll just you know it, it's you got to be careful you got to watch your schedule it's really important
0: so again, in this in this fun little mid two thousands period, I'm curious how you came to color um, Adam Hughes for the Wonder Woman origin in fifty two.
1: Oh wow! Um, uh, wow, I gotta think about that one. Um, Adam and I have been friends for since I started in comics. We we literally learned coloring together at Wildstorm. Oh. Um He was there working on Gen thirteen Ordinary Heroes. Uh, well, I was there as a brand new colorist, so we would actually, you know, teach each other coloring. We would, you know, experiment with coloring right there in the office. So I've known Adam since the mid-90s, and, um, you know, I think we both we both wanted to work together at some point. Um, we'd talk, and DC wanted, you know, DC wanted to do this big Wonder Woman thing uh, with Adam, and I was always... Even through the time that I was at CrossGen, even at the time I was uh, exclusive to Marvel, I always, always in the back of my head and always in all of my contracts was like, I still get to do this Wonder Woman project if Adam ever does it. Um, so that was that was the deal. Uh, uh, I, you know, the funny thing is that when I'm working with Adam, I'm literally an extension of his artwork, of his vision. Uh, I am absolutely... One hundred percent letting Adam drive that train. Um, do you drive a train? I guess you drive a train. Yes, you drive. Anyway, uh, he's he is the conductor. I am. I am. I am the passenger. I am two extra hands at that point, and that's the way I like working with Adam because I really respect his entire, you know, his entire visual language, and um, I I am more than willing to just if he says do this in a slightly pale you know, beige color that's 20% cyan, 30% magenta, 40% yellow. I'll be like, I'm signing those colors in right now. Boom, done. You know, Mm -hmm. Tell me exactly what you want. And I do that. Um, So that's, that's how Adam and I work. It's, and I'm, and uh, so many other artists are like, you do you and I do me and it's great. And that's fine too. So it's an, it's a really interesting uh, way to work with somebody who all I'm literally doing is just following orders. And I'm, Totally okay with that, because <laughs> I learned That's the thing is Adam is so good, and he's got such a clear vision that I learn stuff from him when when we work this way. I am absolutely learning as we go, and and the depth to which he thinks things through um, in terms of uh, you know the color choices, the the um, influences he brings all of that to the table and i just i absorb it like a sponge i'm like tell me more why are you thinking this way why are you you know what is the why are you using this visual language in these scenes and this visual language in these others you know please you know feed this to me give me this i need this so <laughs> uh yeah i mean he's great working with him i love working with adam yeah
0: now in this period, obviously, you're also doing a lot of co- uh, cover work. So I want to talk about a few of the covers for a book that I really liked, which was a Avengers Classic. And you did this beautiful okay. color work over Arthur Adams. Um, Ah, So I'm curious, I mean, the first issue in particular had like, I don't know, a a ton of Avengers, a lot of people. And you're coloring all these characters. So how much work goes into developing? I mean, obviously, Arthur already has to pencil all these characters, but now you have to go in and add all their particular unique color effects. How much work is a project like that?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, you have got those big, big crowd scenes like that. Oh, my gosh. This. And there's always the risk of you've got, you know, this character who wears red is, is overlapping this other character who also wears red, mm. who also, also behind this other character who also wears red. So it is a real challenge to make sure that each character uh, is, is visible and is, um, you know, is obviously in their proper uniform colors, but still not just blending into the background or just, you know, mushing, mushing in with some other character. So um, yeah, that was a real challenge. And a lot of the tricks that I do for stuff like that is edge lighting, where I separate characters with a little thin bit of light on the on their, on, around their edges as if they're backlit slightly. Um, or I will um, uh, play with the, the, um, the, val- the color values so that characters that are further back in the distance will be a little bit less, you know bright and colorful and while the characters in the foreground are more colorful, uh, just to give a little visual distance between the characters. Um, a little sense of atmosphere between the characters Um, I'll I'll subtly play with um, you know the hues if say for instance I've got three characters who all wear blue I might make one you know I might shift one character slightly darker blue more toward navy or royal another one more cyan a little bit more you know like a warmer blue um, or lighter just to make sure that you know, again, just especially where the characters overlap, where there's you know one character standing in front of another, it's just really important to make sure that they don't visually turn into a you know one big blob of red or blue or something like that. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: that's my biggest concern with that, uh, with a with a huge layout like that with so many characters on it. Um, the other thing is, of course, making sure that I've got all the reference right. So <laughs> that's where the editor's <laughs> coming. I'm like, am I sure this is the right costume for this guy? Uh, so uh, there's a lot of decision making going on in
0: there. Yeah. I mean, they are gorgeous, gorgeous covers. Like, the, I, I think Thank you did you. four or five, and they're all like really, really eye popping. They really jump off the stands. I remember that even when I was Thank picking you. them up.
1: And the one thing about um, Arthur, Adam, Arthur Adams' work that I'm, you know, when when you're working and you're zooming in on these pages and you're looking at the line art and you spend so much time looking at this line art, you really get a sense of how, how the artist is inking things, how, how, how the inks are laid down and what the decisions are made when the lines are, are inked in. And Arthur Arthur Adams is the most precise artist I have ever seen. Like his stuff, there is no line ever out of, place. there is no line that is ever just a random line. It, everything is deliberate. Um, it is—it's mind blowing. It is fascinating. Um, so I—that also makes me deliberate in the color choices that I do because I want to make sure, you know, I, I, I pick up on little things like that when I'm working on when I'm staring at the line art for eight, 10, 12 hours a day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when, when in that in this period again, you, you also take on the launch of uh, of the new Thor book, which obviously really changes that visual for the character. Till, yeah. Like for a long time, um, yeah. and obviously, then it ends up kind of living on in the movies as well, kind of adapting that look. Mm-hmm. What was the relationship like between you and and Coipel in establishing the look of this new character? Well, not new character, but new costume,
1: new new look. Yeah, um, we did a. Um, I actually got a lot of information from you know editorial came to me and said we're you know we're doing this new Thor. This is what we want to do with them. This is the new character. This is the, these are the designs that we've already come up with. You know, Olivier is working on this, and then to to be brought into this whole storyline, and to and and to contribute so much to just the feel of like Asgard now defined by Olivier as floating over what Oklahoma or wherever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was. It was it was there was a lot of a lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, you know me throwing out ideas. What if we, you know, or, or, him, or Olivier would also share a lot of his reference with me. So he would send me images all the time. Of, hey, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of this idea for so and so, or I'm thinking of this idea for the diner, or I'm thinking of this idea for the for the the buildings in Asgard or, uh, or you know, um, there was a lot of communication with Olivier on, on that, um, and uh, it was one of I, you know, as soon as you said Thor, I, I broke out in a smile because that's one of my favorite projects. That was one of the things that I really, really, really just dug into hard, um, and I loved it. And uh, um, it was, it was beautiful and challenging, and the story was fantastic. And it was a, uh, I, I wanted, um, I wanted to bring a, I, I don't want to say. I, this isn't quite the right word, but I wanted to bring a slightly more European feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was still an American superhero book, but I, Olivier's line and, and Mark Morales' inks are so fine and delicate sometimes that um, I didn't want to overpower them too much. Um, Olivier's work is more, it has got a, a, a more of a flow to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, so yeah, there was, and we're, so we're talking about as guardians, we're talking about these, you know, these, these god creatures and these. Um, you know, it's a fantastic world that they live in, and I wanted to give a more sort of painterly and lush feel to it without overpowering these delicate, delicate lines. Um, so that's it was a it was an amazing book, and I really loved working on it. Um, and it taught me a lot about. Oh, are you still there? I, yep, I, I I'm still I, here. Skype drop out again. Hello. I'm still here. Up oh, there you are. Uh, okay, good. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was just a, a, a really good back and forth with Olivier especially and with Mark. Who's And Mark Morales, I love this guy, he says as little as possible.
2: <laughs>
1: he, <laughs> like, he will answer any question with like a one word if you can get away with it, I swear. Uh, so um, – but I, I included him on everything because I wanted to make sure, you know, are you okay with me doing these special effects? Are you, you know, how do you feel about um, – doing and i do this with uh, with other anchors as well i want to make sure i'm respecting the line in the way that they want it to be seen so i don't want to blow it out if there's a huge effect i don't that's been beautifully inked and then suddenly i throw a huge glow over it and all that work is destroyed i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. so i always want to include the anchor and mark was always really good about you know i love it or or you know and this 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 is part this part is great but you know maybe maybe you lose a little bit over here um and you know it, it, when he spoke up I was like yep you're absolutely right about that one you are correct sir I will fix that right now so <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, they were just a great bunch of guys super open about being you know about what their visions were and what they you know, what we all wanted to accomplish on the book and you know the, the look and feel of it it was it was really a collaborative effort
2: mm.
0: I, I would imagine from working on a project like that like you got very adept at uh, at lightning effects <laughs>
1: Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did a lot of lighting. There was a whole lot of lightning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you learn and, and it always takes a couple of issues to sort of get that, um, you know, get the, get the, uh, the overall look and feel down and to, to really get into the groove of it, but also to streamline the process of when you know, you're going to have an effect that you're going to have to do over and over again. Like, how do you streamline that? How do you make that, um, Part of the language of the book, and also make it so that you're not spending, you know, two hours on every single lightning bolt. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was it was a it was a good. Li- and uh, the 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 suit, the uh, the chainmail on the arms, that was a visual thing that was that took a lot of work initially. And uh, once I figured out how to still make it feel like silvery chainmail without drawing in every single little square then it, it became a lot easier and and the flow of the, you know, it wasn't so much about the, the tiny little details as it was the overall shape and figure of the, mm. of the body. Um, so, yeah. At first, you know, the, the first couple of issues, you, you sit there and you noodle and you noodle and you noodle and you, you're like, does this right? Is this tiny little bit? And you zoom out and you realize nobody is going to notice that tiny highlight that you just <laughs> painstakingly put on that one piece of chain mail. That is literally the size of, like, the head of a pin. Nobody's going to care. So, so yeah. Um, once you figure that out, you learn how to zoom out and, and tell the story in broader strokes. So.
0: How do you – here's a question. When, when you when you develop a, a visual style like you're doing with, with Olivier and then okay. you have uh, someone coming in like Marco to work for an issue or two, how do you right. tr- kind of tread that line between keeping the visual style you want – for the book but also adapting for such a different artist
1: that was a really tough one because because Marco has such a specific you know he, he has a definite specific plan he has a definite specific um, visual style and it wasn't the same as Olivier's so we did actually butt heads a little bit and not not like we did not like arguing rah, I hate this guy but you know <laughs> I mean it, it was a it was a, a challenge to sort of satisfy both him and the overall aesthetic of the book, um, so that was a that was not an easy job um, switching to Marco there for a bit, uh, and it took it, it was a that was a it was not an easy switch. It was I'll just put it that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. When. Um when astonishing X Men was kind of coming to its its conclusion, how mm-hmm. how did like how did you feel about that? I mean, that had been especially with the you know the, bit of the delays that had been a few, you know more than a few years of your life, uh, kind of working on this on this collaboration with John. How yeah. how was it when that kind of came to an end? And also that last issue when you have um, a lot of the effects just on the bullet. Like how how difficult was it that, to make that work? And and I, that last issue is such a. It really hits you hard, and
2: it does doesn't it? It yeah, really
0: does. Feel, yeah. and but your colors are so effective, and especially in like the last page where you just have the the bullet hurtling through space, and you can yeah. feel the weight of it all. and it's just yeah, like it felt like it was an emotional kind of ending for everyone, not just for the characters but also for you guys.
1: it was it absolutely was. I was like, this is heartbreaking. i this is a tough thing to end on right here. I didn't uh, it was uh, it was definitely like i had a hard time coloring those pages i was like that's this is sad this is gonna break my heart <laughs> <I don't, laughs> what are the readers gonna think oh my god you know
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: was, uh, yeah yeah it was uh it was a uh, i didn't want to see it go the bullet or the book uh <laughs> 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 um, and, you know it, it's sort of like i was sad when i left uh, when i left thor too when you know when the teams changed and and uh, you know, I was like, "Can I still be on it?" And they're like, "Well, we've got this other thing going on." And I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess that's okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's sometimes you you latch on with a book and you're you're on the ride for a long time, and then it ends, and you're like, "Wait a minute, I want more." Um, I would love to see Planetary continue. I would love to mm. go back and visit that world again. I know it's not going to happen, but. Maybe it will. I mean, there's been a few little stories for Wildstorm, I mean, for uh, for DC. Um, and it's fun to come back to those characters periodically. But, you know, I would love to see more of that. I would love to, to have extensions of that story as well, you know. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, part, part and parcel of the world we live in is those stories have to come to an end. And, and um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, sometimes it's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah so it's an yeah. interesting you know in 2008 you're doing Thor still now you're doing Secret Invasion which was obviously the big event of the year sure. and then in, when in 2009 you're also then working on another project for DC which is uh, the Black Lightning Year One you could yes. not have more different books
1: yeah yeah that was true I mean that was a completely different you know that was Cully right yeah so that was a completely different style and um, by that point I was also I was in I was working at gaijin studios at that point i'd moved from we'd moved out of tampa into atlanta in 2006 and by 2008 i joined uh gaijin studios so i was working in the same studio with with cully hamner and brian Stelfries and doug wagner and tony Shastine and carl story and um so yeah um cully and i got to finally work together on something and um it was a, a completely different coloring style i mean he loves that sort of animated you know um uh, animation cell style very simple very flat very uh color driven but not a lot of rendering so a completely different visual language um it was really interesting trying to jump back and forth between the projects not easy by any means
2: no <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, uh but that was i think that was sort of at peak laura where i was like I could jump back and forth i had a, i was surrounded by artists we i was working in a studio full of artists we were all having a great time and i just fed on that energy from the other guys and uh, yeah i was doing that's probably why i was doing as much work as i was doing at that point um it was because there was just I, it was just a lot of stuff to to have fun with um but uh, secret invasion though dude oh my god that book almost killed me uh <laughs> dude it, I have a photo. Uh, it was 2010. Uh, we have been at we went to um, San Diego, and I have a photo of me with my hands wrapped around um, oh, his neck. The writer.
0: Oh, Bendis. Um, yes, thank you, God. I, I told you I was bad with names. Uh, yeah, I, I
1: took a photo of me like strangling Bendis Bendis for uh, for um, uh, Secret Invasion because so many scrolls, so many uh, so many characters, so many characters on every page. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot it was a lot and uh, um, yeah Linnell drew every single one of them so that was great uh, <laughs> so I yeah I was we're joking around about it of course but yeah I wanted to strangle Bendis for all the characters
0: how many different shades of green can you use
1: oh my god all of them oh, everyone in the book oh jeez it was so uh I was like, I'm still getting flashbacks about that. The, the chins, so many chins.
0: Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that I'm you, sorry, have,
1: if, you they... the, if you hear this thing in the background, that's my cat. He's just so curious about what I'm doing and why I'm talking to my phone. He wants to be in the middle of everything. So if you hear meows, that's my that's my voice hit. So sorry about that.
0: That's okay. It's interesting that uh, it seems like both Cross Gen and Secret Invasion have given you a form of PTSD. Yeah. <laughs>
1: True, <laughs> for different reasons, totally different reasons. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah.
0: Did you f- uh, did you feel like after Secret Invasion, you never wanted to see a green again? Like,
1: yes, uh, I definitely didn't want to see that many characters. I was like, please don't ever put me on a big giant team book with extra teams. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, evil versions of those teams and the extra teams, please, please. No, (laughs) let's not do that again.
0: (laughs) So I am curious. So I, I, to a very different visual palette, what was it like working on the rocketeer?
1: That was intense. Um, and probably one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. Really? I, uh, yeah, because, well, I'd worked on a couple of Dave's pinups for his, uh, big coffee table book that he did. Um, and uh, I got to color the Catwoman and another piece, and it was those pieces that were actually that actually had Dave decide to ask me to color to recolor the rock tier. Um Unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, as as the, the production was ramping up on, and they were getting the pages, and they were scanning them, and everything. Unfortunately, he passed away before he ever could see any of it that I'd colored. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the the I had the the two best people I could have had to help me understand what dave would have wanted and that was uh dave mandel and calvin Mao, who are very good friends with dave and very good friends with us with my, my husband and me um and they were sort of my touchstones they were my uh my David Jasons. so um i studied dave's painting as much as i could i studied the you know the original rocketeer series i drew a lot on the original work that was there um and uh, in, a, in a strange twist of fate, I didn't realize this at the time. Well, I didn't realize this until I was working on it, but Joe Chida was one of the colorists in the original series. He was the one who was doing guides at Wildstorm when I started at Wildstorm. Oh, no so, way. Yeah, so when I saw the page, you know, when I actually went back and looked at the series, I was like, oh, my God, it is Joe Chida. That's his, those are his colors. That's his color palette, the yellow and the purple, and this is what he does. Um, so it was it was like sort of this weird circular deja vu thing where I'm now recoloring the work of the man who taught me about color, you know, it's very strange. Um I I wanted to honor the work as it was done before. I also wanted to honor how Dave would have painted it if he'd done it himself. Hmm. That was my that was my number one thing was like what would Dave have done given the time and the the energy and the ability to do the work himself what would he have done himself Um, and uh, so I really it was sort of like like I worked with Adam Hughes where I was sort of I wanted to be an extension of Mm. Dave's own artwork I wanted to to bring as much of, of what I could glean from Dave's work without being able to talk to him that was the hard part um so i did i literally poured my heart into that because i wanted to respect the work as much as i could um and i can't thank david mandel and calvin Kel- Mal enough for how much they were involved and also scott dunbeer mm. um for uh, all of their involvement all of their direction um and their their guidance and their help with um T- 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 explaining to me what Dave how Dave would have approached this and what he wanted, what he truly wanted out of the project um, you know, what what his ultimate vision was for, re- for re-issuing the Rocketeer in its entirety so it was, uh, that that brings uh, that always chokes me up a little bit because I, I, I wanted him to see it so bad I really did mm-hmm. um, so, but I, I was hugely honored and and humbled that he let me have, that he let me finish, that he let me do this for him. Um, it was, it was a lot. It, was, it still is a lot to me now. I get a little verklempt thinking
0: about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Then, um, mm-hmm. what was it like doing covers with JH Williams III for uh, the Detective Comics run with Batwoman?
1: I didn't do those.
0: Didn't those you do those? Months? Oh, you know no, what? I, I, I'm wrong. Sorry, I was thinking of something else. I apologize
1: yeah it was fine I was like I don't that was wasn't that was, wasn't it that was the, new Dave Stewart wasn't it yeah
0: I think so yeah sorry my apologies yeah.
1: I did do the question that was the backup story in that.
0: that's okay that's it yeah I knew you yeah, did some was, of them uh, books okay I, yeah now what's it like working on a, on a on a character like the question you get to use such a an interesting you know the dark end of the palette I guess
1: yeah, yeah, there was a definitely um, a moodier feel to it than, than our usual stuff, just you the know, detective. And it was kind of this sort of street level, uh, you know, gritty, uh, less, you know, just more real world um, and uh, noir feel to it than your standard, you know, flashy superhero stuff. And again, it was Cully Hammer, and we'd just done Black Lightning, which was a big flashy superhero thing. So, you know, we really collaborated on, on the, the tones and the, the essence and what, you know, what he was pulling into the series, you know, the, like I said, the noir feel of it. Um, and it, for me, it was always interesting because when you're working, when you're coloring a style like that, where it's just two or three flat colors in each shape you really have to make sure the shape itself that you're creating with these colors is accurate, is, is not, uh, you know, is, is as simple as it can be, but as, as accurate as it can be as well to define the shapes. Um, so Cully was very specific about a lot of that and having him work, you know, right next to me was fantastic because we could just, I could just run into his office and be like, Hey, can you take a look at this on screen and see what you think? (laughs) Um, so that was very very convenient I would I would love to be able to do that with more artists um <clears throat> but uh yeah it was it was definitely a different take and and I like that I like that I could do uh you know a North film I like when I could do with the, you know war stories like with um uh Chris Weston you know when we did uh I, forgot, I can't remember now uh, um uh Ministry of Space that was a completely different feel you yes know, yes we, and uh other things where there are flashbacks into World War II, where there's a, a again another completely different visual take on it. I love being able to explore these other palettes and these other sort of um, color stories, uh, as they were, instead of just always doing the the flashy. Hey, today it's you know this superhero's beating up on this other guy. So um, <laughs> you know it's it, and and to share in those stories and share in that in that visual storyline with another artist is always a just a, a big plus so um, yeah and you know the funny thing too I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second sure. a lot of these artists that I work with color can color themselves they do color themselves they do uh, Olivier for instance does beautiful work when he colors himself Carly Hamner does he usually colors his own covers mm. um, they don't have the same they don't necessarily Dave Stevens you know I mean You know. we've been talking about a lot of these guys who who have done a lot of work on their own, you know, from start to finish. So when I come in, um, I don't, I don't have the same aesthetic. I don't, you know, I we're two different artists. We just look at things differently visually. So we have to sort of accommodate each other, and it 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 made me realize, for instance, how flexible Olivier. Oh. An excellent communicator. It means that, he, that Olivier is an excellent communicator because he can, he, even though all of these different colorists have a different take on Olivier's work, it's still, it's still visually really interesting and really cohesive. I mean, Dave McKeague and I are two completely different colorists, but we've both colored Olivier and uh, and other artists, uh, Stuart Eminent, for instance, mm. and we've had completely different takes on them. and it's still really, it, it, it. it's a testament to how much we communicate with our artists and how much we uh, collaborate to come up with completely different looks, but that the art is still, you know, is still strong visually. So, I don't know, I, I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but I just wanted to say it's, it's fun working with artists to color themselves because I get to learn where they're coming from. In their color palettes and their color choices, Mm. Um, you know, and uh, and I think they have the language to talk to me about what they what they want. Um, You know, they they have they know how color works and um, know how to how to share that visual language with me. So, um, yeah.
0: I guess you're always learning, right?
1: Yeah, always learning. I always want to. This is the the biggest part of my job is that I always. I don't want to get stale with it. I never, ever want to get stale with it. And I want to, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't complain at all when I get corrections back from artists. I love them because they let me understand more about what they're thinking. And I get to pick their brains a bit and I get to um, go, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't see that, you know, or, oh, yeah, you know, that is a different way of looking at it. It wasn't the call that I would have made, but let's try it your way. And, hey, look, it worked. It's great. Um, uh, you know that that whole collaborative process is not just it's not just to make a good product. It's not just to put a book on the stands, it's for me to absorb information and to continue to learn and continue to, to be as good of a colorist as I can. So Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I have a question. What was it like? I mean, you're on Thor for a while. Then, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the book kind of changed. And then it gets relaunched as The Mighty Thor. And you kind of come back and you kind of uh, reunite with Olivier. Did you yes. feel a conscious de- decision to do anything differently when you have this kind of new direction that you guys are kind of taking the character?
1: Not really. It was more like a homecoming for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, It was... We, we did want to do something a little bit different uh, and obviously, you know, we had a different writer so the story was different. It was a, it was a completely different feel to, this, to the story but, um... And Olivier did have, like, kind of a newer vision of what of some of the, the things that he wanted to do with the story so he would send me, again, it was like, hey, I've got this idea. I was inspired by this video game or this movie or this whatever. Here's a screenshot. You know? Um... So it's it's a sort of a combination of picking up where we left off but also knowing that we've both matured a little bit since we worked together before mm. and we've we've eaten.
2: Hello. So yeah, so
1: that it was it was really more about, you know, okay, here we are, we're a little bit older, we're a little bit wiser. Let's let's see where we can go now. And even now, when I'm working on covers with him, with the uh, with the Thor covers that I'm working on now, again, comp- he has now developed. You know, he's doing a lot of stuff in grayscale now. He's not he's not being inked by somebody else. He's inking himself. So the art is even one further step different. And I'm along for that ride too. I I want to be sure that I'm, uh, you know that that I'm keeping up with him. So uh, we're both continuing to learn and to teach each other new stuff. Just a
0: relationship. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and how do, how do you kind of stand that up against the other, I'm going to, I'm going to call it great, you know, comic book romances of your life, but you know what I mean? Like the other, (laughs) the other collaborations that you've had that we've talked about before, like working with Walt or working with, um, you know, Brian or working with John.
1: Uh, I think that in each of those cases, again, we're, um, like there were, there were long breaks working with Brian, there were long breaks in between where we weren't on projects together and then we'd come back and do something different, or do, do a new project together um, and uh, Brian would immediately, I'm talking about Brian Hitch here, uh, would immediately say okay, this is where I want to go with this storyline, this is what I want to do with this book, um, this is the you know, he'd give me the overall arc, you know, the overarching um, uh, concept that he's going for and then um, you know, I would I would incorporate that into the pages as I got the pages uh, so it, I think in each case there is you know each each time I um, get on a new project with you know with an old friend I think we're still we we don't uh, neither of us want to be in our run neither of us want to be stuck in the same old style that we were doing back in 1998 or 2002 mm-hmm. so um, you know when we do get together on a new project we're like okay how can we make this different from the last thing? Um, how can, you know, what are you, what what am I bringing now to the page? What are you bringing now to the page that you didn't do before? Um, you know, John, for instance, is doing, um, you know, he's doing a lot more grayscale stuff now too. Uh, he does a lot more in Photoshop before he gets the page to me. Um, and that's, that's fine because that gives me, um, it, it allows me to see where he's thinking and, and kind of, he takes a step into my world and I take a step into his in that sense. So our, our, our lines are blurring a little bit between John and me. And I like that because now I'm like, okay, all right, now you're in my field. Now you're in my backyard. So let's, <laughs> let's play here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, it's always, it always comes down to that conversation. You know, where are uh, in email or on phone call or whatever, where we can chat about, you know, where do you want to do this? What have, what have you got in mind? Um, uh, is there, you know, are you thinking a specific color story here? Because ultimately, all these guys are all still working in black and white. They're still doing black, white, or gray, and I'm the one who adds the the reds and the yellows and the purples and the greens and the oranges. So, um, you know, there is there is still that that next step that I do, but it's still a collaboration. It's still a final piece of singular artwork mm-hmm. and um, you don't necessarily know where one of us stops and the other begins um if it's a good collaboration um so i like being able to come back on projects with guys that i've worked with before because we i i would like to see what they're doing next see what they're doing new mm-hmm. um and try to try to keep up with them
0: you yeah. know how how often has it happened where you've had communication with with a particular writer about a specific thing that they're kind of looking for that they want to make sure is expressed that's coming through their script like how often do you have those kind of communications not just with the penciler
1: um i try to um loop in the writer all the time as often as i possibly can uh whenever um uh, you know, like I'm uh, working with Mark Wade on a thing now, and he's very open to communication with me about. You know, anytime I have got a question about something, I drop him a line. Um, some writers are not as open. Like I didn't, I didn't chat at all with with uh, J. Michael Sh- 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 Jozinski. I will never pronounce his name right ever, ever, ever. <laughs> with JMS. JMS. Uh, I never yeah. Had, yeah, I never had a. I had one word with him, I think, at one point, and that was it. Um, and then I met him at the Eisners. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there was so everything I got from him was gleaned from the script, um, or hello. Would I always prefer to include the writer? I think it's important because that's where the idea started, and um, and I also learned. Uh, you know, if there are changes, if yeah, I look at the script and I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't match up with what I'm seeing on the page. Oh, clearly the uh, the penciler decided to you know lay this page out a little bit differently from the original script. Uh, maybe I should clarify that. Just double check, make sure I'm on the same. That they're not on the same page. Literally, they've <laughs> changed things around. And am I reading this right? You know, this sometimes that happens. So um, I'm whenever i send in proofs i always try to I include the whole team i want to make sure everybody's getting everybody's seeing everything at the same time and everybody's included um uh, uh, like i said that's that's not uh it doesn't i don't always get a lot of input from the right from the writer but i love it when i do uh, because i think it's still important to to know that i'm part of that team
0: when I mean obviously as we were talking about you worked on so many big events like Secret Invasion, uh, Siege Fear Itself, Avengers versus the X-Men when you're working on all those do you feel like you, you're? Uh, this may come out more negative and I don't mean it to be in any way but do you feel at times when you're working on a big kind of temple project like that that there's less maneuverability to innovate in terms of your colors because of the deadlines and the kind of the, the, the elevated scope of it all?
1: To a point, um, there, yeah, there's, there's definitely um, a little more editorial, <clears throat> excuse me, a little more editorial interference, I guess. Not interference. That's the wrong word. Editorial control hmm. um, over a Big Ten poll project like that. Um, but when it comes down to the to the actual work, I think a lot of times they, what are you, what are you guys doing? Hold on a second. I don't have to separate my cats. Get shoe. Sorry, <laughs> they were doing something weird on my. I, Anyway, I never mind. Um, uh, yeah, there's there's a edit, editorial definitely has a bigger hand in the big tentpole projects, right down to what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know whether it's uh, a big critical scene where something major happens, like um, you know what's his name gets ripped in half in the middle of siege. Uh, you know, I, I I need to have information you know from from the uh, editors on stuff like that. Um, make sure that uh, you know, is this 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 is this you know, like for instance, that scene where um, what's that character's name? I forget the guy got ripped in half in Siege.
2: Oh my god. Uh Century. Um, century.
1: Century, yes. century. Um uh you know, I was like, okay, this is really bloody. Uh, how how bloody can I make it? You know <laughs> I mean can I use bright red or do I have to stick with dark red? You know, these are these are things that Uh, you know that editorial is concerned about especially if it's if it doesn't have a you know teenage and up rating or something um uh but you know there's also uh editorial gets involved too like with the cover design you know on Siege for instance Siege again had a very specific color story in the in the covers it went from you know the blue to the purple to the pink to the bright you know orange and red um you know, going from sort of a you know uh, a warlike, sad, beat down scene in the first cover to this you know much more you know heroic scene in the last cover. So editorial had a hand in that. They were like, "This is what we're looking for. This is how we want to do this." Uh, but when when it, you know when it gets right down to this, to getting the pages done, uh, editorial is way more concerned about hitting the deadline. Way more concerned about that. So um, yeah, they usually. Let, you know, once we get up and running on the book, then they usually just leave us
0: alone and let us do our thing unless mm-hmm. we have questions. Okay. So. Now, I mean, on a book like Avengers versus X-Men, first of all, I mean, you're such a huge part of why that book kind of works consistently because you have so many, oh,
1: oh, there you are. Hi, sorry.
0: Yeah, it's okay. So on a book like Avengers versus X-Men, you have so many different creative teams that was kind of by design, but you are kind of the constant. Mm-hmm. You're the one who keeps it all moving yep. visually. So how, right. How first of all, I mean, you approach it. Obviously, you're going to keep a consistent tone. We have various different artists that you're working over to achieve that. How challenging was that? But I guess it must have been also nice to have Olivier in the middle.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, uh, it was. It was a definite. Uh, there was a definite effort to make sure that the storytelling, that the that the coloring was consistent from one institution to the next in terms of the story. Um, it was. Uh, uh, even even when the artists were so different, it had to maintain a consistency. And yeah, like you said, I was I was that linchpin. I was the the one kind of holding that together. And uh, I think it was probably a good idea to have just one color deal one color is dealing with that um, because that's an easy way to tie everything together. Um, uh, ultimately, you know, the pages if you were to see them all laid out in black and white, it would be a, I think a different visual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and less cohesive than if one person is coloring everything. So, um, yeah, I, it's funny because I some projects I'm like, oh god, that I remember that so well. And other projects I'm like, oh, that's right, yeah, I did that too. Didn't I? <laughs> 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 I, you know, I I'd actually have to Avengers vs X Men went back went by so fast that I actually. Uh, Don't remember a lot of it And that's weird And I hate saying that Because it sounds like I wasn't paying attention But I was I just It was one of those books That I'm uh, That just went by really quick For whatever reason Mm
0: Mm-hmm now, you you worked not long after that, obviously, you worked on Uncanny Avengers once again with uh, mm-hmm. with John. What was it like yep. w- working on that book? I mean, that was the big kind of linchpin book coming out of AVX. Obviously, a lot of people paying attention yep. to it. The color work was absolutely g- phenomenal. But how did you approach that that title? And again, this new... It's interesting because the colors of the Avengers in the X-Men worlds also feel different. So merging them into one book yeah. is, a, is an interesting kind of uh, feat.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and then uh you know, being teamed up with John again was uh you know, it was again it was sort of like a homecoming where we're like, okay, we're going to we're back together again. How's how's this it, I it was it's you know, it's it's actually kind of like writing a new like a band writing a new album. Like mm. a band that, you know, uh took a break for 4 years and then they suddenly want to get back in the studio and write a new album and they're like, let's okay, where do we want to go with this album? You know, how do we want to approach it? So um, it's, I, I, would, I would totally liken it to that where we're thinking, okay, so we've got these new characters, we've got this storyline, you know, this is the visual language that we want. This is the, you know, this is where we're going with it. Um, I know, uh, sorry, my cat's being pussy. Um, so, uh, it, it was, it, with that one, it was, I think we were really focused in on the characters themselves. Um. Because you know it, it was a really cool story arc, and uh, the characters were so strong. So um, John focused a lot on you know the, the 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 importance of the characters, and I wanted to bring a lot of that out too. Because I mean that's what you do. So um, yeah, I I don't we it was it was really I, I think I kind of. I think that was a good comparison with writing a new album. <laughs> i I've never thought of that one before in all of my many years of coloring. So that was pretty good. <laughs> S-
0: speaking of working on something that has like a lot of eyeballs and kind of more pressure, what was it like working on the before Watchmen book with uh, Adam? Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> that was, that had some eyeballs. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was um, really fun again because we uh, we were, we were, I was just Adam's extra hands and, um, Mark Cirello was the uh, editor on that one. And he and Adam and I have been friends for a long time and, uh, working together, there was, there was, uh, you know, it was, it was intense in the sense that the coloring was so specific Mm. and the project was so big. So we had to get it right. We absolutely had to get it right. And, um I think everybody wanted it so badly to be so perfectly right that um you know at the end I, I think we uh I don't know it 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 kind of ended on a weird note for me personally um but I love the work I did, and I would absolutely one hundred percent work without him again. Uh, I just think it was an odd project, mm. and not what. I mean, you know, ultimately, we both really kind of wanted to do Wonder Woman, so um, that was, you know, it was an odd project. Um, I, I would, uh, I don't know. It was, it was. I don't know what to say about it. Honestly, it was a weird <laughs> project. It was a weird project, but at the same time, it was a whole lot of fun learning again from Adam about how he approaches the pages and what we did to, um, you know, to bounce back and forth between the timelines and how we uh, dealt with, you know, the different, uh, the, the character itself and, um, you know, all, all those visual languages that, that Adam knows so well. And it springs forth from his head, you know, just in full detail. And I'm just there to, to kind of grab those thoughts and put them on paper. So, mm. uh, Yeah.
0: I mean visually the, the book is stunning like it, I mm-hmm. mean you guys work so well together and yeah. um, like I it's so interesting because the blue of Dr. Manhattan cannot be an easy thing to kind of get right um, yeah. but yeah. it has to kind of feel kind of alien and ethereal but also very like you almost don't want it to stand out too much because in the original one right. it's kind of very matter of fact and that's a yeah. that's, uh, such an interesting tightrope to kind of uh, to walk but I felt like you guys really were able to do that quite well
1: thank you Thank you. It was a tough challenge for sure to to get the balance of, of him being not too alien but definitely not normal either. So, um, yeah, and that – there are um, – one of the drawbacks is that certain colors that you see on screen do not print. Mm. They just don't print very well at all, uh, and they're limited by the, the ink process. It's simply the difference between a backlit screen versus – you know, versus light bouncing off of paper. Um, so, so, you, so I had to be very careful about those blues because you could go into on screen they look brilliant, but then they die in print if you're mm. not careful. Um, and the same thing can happen with reds or with uh, uh, sometimes dark blues will will print very gray or very kind of this weird, ugly gray purple if you're not careful. If you don't know your about your color settings and you don't. Um, and you're, you're relying too heavily on what you see on screen versus what you know will print so that was a tough one because you know Dr. Manhattan has that very certain blue has a very certain quality to it and I needed to make sure that in order to make him feel as, as rich or as, as, as to, in order to get his blue right I had to make sure that the colors around that blue were offsetting it properly that's how i was able to avoid running into print problems with mm. that particular blue color because I would balance it against other colors so that the contrast of those two colors would make that blue pop even more.
0: Now there, in particular you have the uh, beautifully gorgeous shop and I can't even imagine how much work it went into doing it which is when you actually have uh, the kind of the, the origin sequence where you have uh, him blowing up and becoming Dr. Manhattan. Um, mm-hmm. How much work did that take because just looking uh, at it is it's uh, just like staggering that how much color work that must have gone into that.
1: That took forever, no lie. That took a long time.
0: <laughs> like now, again, this might just be me again having colorblindness and not always seeing the right thing. But it almost looks like there's in the blues. There's almost like the red of his body as well, or like some mm-hmm. deeper colors. And I'm just curious how you even kind of plucked that out and made that work because it, again, it, it's it's it, you know, it's stunning. Thank you, I appreciate
1: that. I would actually have to look at this on screen right now in order for me to to walk you through it, <laughs> it was like, if I could find the file I would find it right now and, and sort of be like oh yeah okay this is what I was thinking when I did this this and this um but I, I do remember it took me a long time and um and it was uh it was definitely um an odd an odd page there there are those pages that stick out to you every once in a while that you're like okay that was an odd page and I really did a lot of work on that one um and that was one of them and uh Another one that uh, I remember is in in Planetary. There was one. There was a first page of one of the issues that was just this big giant eyeball, and uh, that took a lot of work. There was the page in Thor where uh, I made the eggs and and the bacon and the bread, the toast in the diner, <laughs> and that took a long time. And for some reason, I'm remembered for that. Um, so yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's you know, there's those pages that you are just like. Okay, that was sort of one of those things that either i remember working on it forever or i have you know erased it from my memory because i don't want to think about how much time i spent on it <laughs> 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 so yeah but yeah that yeah i'll
0: jump forward a little bit uh, as i i know i'm way over time and i am I'm, I'm almost at current i'm getting closer i'm like 2013 okay. now <laughs> <Okay>. um <laughs> So, a question. So when, you, when you're working on Uncanny Avengers and then you're doing it with with McNiven, did you guys ever work together when you were at CrossGen?
1: No. Uh, actually, no, we didn't. Um, it, was, uh, it was a real treat getting to work with him because we didn't work together at CrossGen. Mm. Um, I, I really loved uh, his work on Meridian and um, just watching him grow visually. I was I was really you know when I got a chance to work with him I was like yes finally we get to work together we get to do something um and uh you know but also there's that that sort of feeling like you know Maury Halliwell has been coloring him forever mm. and you almost feel like uh you know am I am I and is this okay is is it okay if I can I can I have can I have your artist for a little while Maury is that okay uh,
0: yeah. I mean, w- would you be okay with letting John be with someone else?
1: I was okay with John, with Dave Stewart coloring him on yeah. Captain America because it was Dave Stewart. But every once in a while, I'm like, hey, why didn't you call me for that cover?
0: You know. <laughs> <laughs> with, with 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 Steve, did you guys swap Prisoner of War stories for Crossgen?
1: oh yeah of course always <laughs> no, actually, you know no, the truth is we don't the the funny thing is when you get cross-gen people together if we're working on something we're busy working we're not gonna True. uh you know uh, but if you get us at a convention oh yeah that's when the stories come out <laughs> that's when we start swapping stories um but uh yeah no if, if like with steve we were just so excited to work together and, and you know we were we were eager to share ideas and and to you know okay what do you think about this okay what do you think about this okay oh you want to do this you know you want to go through this uh, you know you, you, you're 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 channeling your inner Barry Windsor Smith you're challenging you know you're, 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 you want to go in this direction and you're inspired by this particular look great awesome I will absorb all of that and then put that into the pages too so we we're and he's so nice. That's the best part. And it's like, you know, super, I, I love working with artists who are excited, you know, because they're mm. like, oh, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Um, I don't often work with artists who aren't excited, so it's often a good thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So. Was uh, I- it's interesting on Uncanny Avengers too because I mean you had a few issues where I guess um, Daniel Acuna Acuna kind of took over for a few issues doing his own thing when when you're working on a run like that where they do have another artist kind of coming in and doing kind of his own thing color as well and then it Mm -hmm. comes back to you do you Mm -hmm. feel a need to kind of use some of the visual language that they use as well to kind of keep that part of the story going or do you kind of go back to what you were already doing before the other artist jumped in?
1: I I want to incorporate wherever the story left off. If, you know, if somebody came in and did a few issues on their own, I want to be able to pick up where they left off and make sure that it's still consistent. Um, So, I mean, Daniel's stuff is amazing. I am more than happy to learn to to pick apart his pages and and try to incorporate whatever I can glean from his pages into my work. So, um, yeah, I definitely wanted to, to, you know, to... Keep the story going. I mean, that's the whole point. It's a you know, it's sequential. So I want to keep that story going visually, and uh, um, make sure that I'm still consistent. You know, that, that I'm still playing in the same. You know, that we're still in the same ballpark. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, yeah. So you know, going back, for instance, with the Thor stuff with uh, with Marko Djurjic and his work was so different. I think that was what was jarring. Was he he wanted a completely different thing. And to me, I was like, "But, but it's the same storyline. You can't just do your own thing. That's weird, um, <laughs> you know." <laughs> yeah, 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 it's 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 not a standalone story. You
0: You're you part of the tapestry.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't just you know suddenly change the the whole entire nature of the threads in the tapestry. So, uh, um, so yeah, I, I really do try to to tie everything together when I when I can, and it always helps that the editors send me the, the PDFs of the previous issues so that I have them on hand open on my screen while I'm working and making sure that I'm keeping everything consistent across the board.
0: One thing I didn't ask about with the, the AVX stuff, but that I, I and I could be wrong on, on the timing, but I guess it was one of the, I guess earlier times I think that you would have colored over uh, John Amita Jr. Is that right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So yep, what was right. what was it like to kind of I mean you, you've obviously colored him since then but what was yep. it like to become part of his visual language because it's very specific
1: it is very specific yeah and I that was another one of those ones where I really had to sort of uh, learn my way around how to interpret his art um, uh, I, and you know it's it's funny I've seen uh, and it, I don't remember if I think the, uh, when did Dean white color him I know he colored it on, on a bunch of stuff and his work on John Romita Jr. is so vastly different than what I do. And I love his coloring on, on um, JRJR. Um, but I just approach things differently than Dean does. Um, and, uh, and John was always very open to what I was doing. Um, and, but I mean, as, as, when I was first starting up on the pages, um, you know, he would, he would correct me on things like, uh, can you smooth out the rendering on this or, or this part over here is a little, you know, a little harsh or a little, or, or a little mushy or something, you know, he would, he would actually be like, you know, sort of, you know, channeling me into the, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of corralling my work into where he wanted it to be. And that's great. That's exactly what I want mm-hmm. to hear on that first issue. Um, so, yeah, it took me a little bit to sort of understand his visual language, to really read it, um, and, and that happens with pretty much every artist. It takes me a little bit. Sometimes I walk right into it right away, and sometimes it takes me a couple of issues. Um, and on, on John's, I think it took me about an issue and a half before I really was like, okay, now I see where you're going with this. Now I see what, what you like out of you know how you want your things, your your shapes rendered and your uh, figures dealt with, and uh, um, yeah, once we once we locked into it, it was great.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, and again, he's another guy I would love to work with again.
0: Yeah. Now I'm curious. I know we we have mentioned him in the last episode, but I don't know if I really got the kind of the origin of how you came on board the book. Although it's possible you did, and I'm just forgetting. So how did you get you know put on Ragnarok with Walt Simonson? Because that's You know, that's, again, it's IDW. At the time, we were working a lot more at DC and Marvel. And, you know, it's a a legend in the field. So how does this kind of come
1: about? Uh, You know what? I'm not sure if it was Scott or Walter. I think it was Walter who who approached me and said, hey, I want to do this book. Let's do this. Um, I'm pretty sure Walt wanted me on this. And I think it's because we worked on other stuff before. Um, uh, what? Dan Buckley. Dan. Yeah. What? What do you mean? I'm sorry, my husband is reminding me of something, and I'm. Joking. Hey, that's
0: okay. I think he was
1: having lunch with Walt. Okay, and wait, Walt Ryan. Was admitting that he wished he could get you the color, right? Oh, really? Okay, so. And you were not oh. They you you want to talk him. See, I didn't know that story at all. Well, thank you, honey. Uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, Walt was having lunch with Dan Buckley. And was lamenting to Dan Buckley that he wanted me to color Ragnarok, and Dan reminded him that I was no longer under exclusive with Marvel. I don't. I didn't know this. I was. I don't remember this at all. So, uh, yay me! Um, <laughs> you'll have to. You'll have to check with that. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to verify that with Walt. But uh, <laughs> that's the. That's the story I'm hearing. Um, uh, and and yeah, that I. I Rock's another one of those ones that I dug it deep because we were bringing so much of uh, a very specific aesthetic um, to the storyline to the colors in, in particular um, Walt is deep, deep into uh, Viking mythology and lore and everything and mm-hmm. uh, I mean way way deep into it so uh, when we started working on the project together he was like okay here's here's what We'd have these long, 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 long phone conversations about, uh, you know, the, the visual feel of the pages that this is, you know, this is the era. This is what's happened after Ragnarok. It's been X number of years in like a thousand years or something. Uh, there is no sun. There is no moon because they were both eaten by the, the wolves. Um, so everything is always dusk. Um, you know, uh, you know, these are the, these are what the elves look like. These are what the dark elves. These are what the, the trolls look like. These are what the, the, uh, the draugr look like um you know this is this is all a specific visual feel and then i would go in and go okay but we can't have it always just be twilight and twilight always be one color you know there are different variations of twilight or of dusk or of you know pre-dawn or whatever that sort of in between time that has neither sun nor nor uh Mm -hmm. nor moon um so I'd be like, okay, well, apparently in the scene, now that he's running toward, you know, the darklands, uh, now the, the dusk is green. And in this other scene, the dusk is a purple dusk because uh, it's, I gotta have some way to, to separate these things visually. <laughs> so, you know, and he let me just go with that. That was great. You know, he was like, yeah, that do that. That's great. You know, I just, I just want to make sure that there's never any, you know, true bright sunlight or, you know, uh, moonlight or anything because the they, the you know the heavenly bodies don't exist right now, um, so uh, we did a, a lot of talking before even even as he was just beginning the the pencils you know he's he'd written out the scripts and he was just beginning the pencils and uh, and he brought John Workman in on the on the lettering and he was beginning to you know get to the point where he's going to start inking and we were we would just have these long long conversations about. Um, you know, the overall feel of the, the book itself, the entire, you know, the, the entire palette. And then, you know, as each as you came in, there was no script because it was all right there on the page already. And uh, if I ever had any questions or I wanted to clarify anything um, or if he wanted to say, okay – now, in the Elder Eddas, there was the story about blah blah blah, and this is this character who ate the apples and the blah blah blah, and he would tell me the entire back history of I don't the apple character, the person who gave uh, gave Thor the apples, and uh, now I know everything there is to know about this character, and it <laughs> like three pages. So you know, it was, it was it was really funny to have these conversations with Paul. He's such a great storyteller, and he's so so deeply into it that it's uh, I'm just I'm I'm in his world, you know.
0: Absolutely, uh, yeah. His is obviously such a very specific vision too, right? So,
1: oh, there you go. Lost you there for a sec.
0: Sorry, I was just saying that he has obviously a very specific vision.
1: Yes, yes, definitely, and uh, um, and it is a it is a fun vision to be a part of. And uh, he's, you know, it's funny because he he shared all of this all of this backstory and it's all these these historical things and these mythological things. And then you know I'll turn in a page and I'll be like it's great go and I'm like oh, okay I guess I'm doing this right okay <laughs> so he, you know even he gave me the big picture and then let me run with it and that's that's fantastic I love I love working with Walt
2: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah. a question so and I think we we t- may have touched on this very briefly in the last one but um, when you talk about very specific. You know color palettes. I mean, I don't think you can get a more specific color palette than Star Wars.
1: Yeah. Oh oh, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So obviously, working on any kind of licensed material is always going to have a lot of kind of back and forth. But working on a book like that, which again has such a a very clearly defined design aesthetic in terms of colors, did that make it better or worse?
1: Uh, It made it incredibly, incredibly. Oh, I can't think of the word. Sorry, my cat's yelling at me. Um, <laughs> intimidating. Mm. Intimidating would be the word because uh, not only is it a licensed project, it is a licensed project that fans are absolutely uh, really into and will tear apart if you get it wrong. So, um, I uh, i mean, you know, it's Star Wars. Oh my God. And it's not just <laughs> Star Wars, but it's luke and leia and han and chewy and you know it's it's those guys it's the the stories that happened between you know a new hope and uh and, you know that happened after a new hope and so the visuals had to be for me they had to be dead on exact with the film i have so many screenshots from the films just you know piled <laughs> up in the hundreds and hundreds of screenshots just taken right off the films um and you know the the the, the art of books and everything else i could lay my hands on that would have that would show me the exact right you know, the exact right shade of uh, Uncle Owen's house, you know, or whatever the case was that mm-hmm. I was working on make sure that I got all that reference absolutely right, you know um, uh, and I was always like, oh my god, Lucasfilm's going to come back and be like, you screwed this completely up, you have no idea what you're doing <laughs> Um <laughs> because everything had to go through lucasfilm everything everything got looked at everything Mm. had eyeballs on it from lucasfilm so uh i i wanted to be as absolutely 100 percent, right down the line on point with this stuff as i could be
0: now in the last like i guess 10 15 years you've done a variety of projects with a steward so i was always surprised that you didn't kind of continue on colors on star wars and that Ponser came on instead
1: Oh no no no! I didn't. uh, When they when they approached me to to color Star Wars, I was like, "Why didn't you ask Justin?" Because Justin, is one of those mega fans. Oh okay. Yeah, Justin. Justin was a an amazing, humongo, super extra, beyond fan of Star Wars. We actually uh, we actually saw episode one in the theaters. I remember waiting in line with him and the other Wildstorm guys uh, for hours before the movie started, and Justin was just beside himself with excitement before <laughs> and after the movie, which is kind of surprising. Oh, really? Uh, but <laughs> he loved it. He was so happy he was back. You know, it was, just, it was Star Wars. It was everything he wanted. Um, so when they asked me to color it, I was like, "Why? Why are you putting Justin on this?" And they're like, "Well, it's John Cassidy," and I was like, mm. "Oh, okay. Well then, yeah." Oh, okay. So when yeah. So when Stuart took over, I was like, please tell me Justin's coloring this. I wouldn't – I was like – I talked to Tom Brevoort. I'm like, you better make sure you put – he's like, yes, Justin's going to be on it. And I'm like, thank you. Do not do not let Justin pass this up because this is his world. This is his thing. I mean, Star Wars and Lego, like, oh, that was Justin Ponsor. So, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, I love him dearly and I miss him. And, and I, I, you know, the only reason – the only reason that I –
2: Oh. Right oh. now. Yeah.
0: So I lost that you were saying the only reason. Hello? 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 Hello, sorry about all the connection issues. That's okay,
1: let me put you back on speaker, hold on a sec. Sure. Uh, I think I muted you. Okay, I'll just do it this way. Oh uh, yeah, I think I just I, I just totally dropped you there. Sorry about that.
0: That's okay. I also now forgot what I said. Um,
1: oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I didn't. I I don't know. We I lost you somewhere while I was prattling on about Justin Ponser should have been on the first six issues, but it was John Cassidy, so I did it. Okay. So, <laughs>
0: um, what was I going to say? Ah oh, shoot I, I totally lost what i was gonna ask next um so let's let's jump let's go let's finally get a little bit more current so um working with john and on all those projects do you have you are you basically his default colorist at this point i mean there's been so many collaborations
1: i i would like to think so um i would hope so uh because i really like working with john and and we know each other so well and we know each other's um we communicate so well and so comfortably with each other, um, that I, I would hope that anything John's on, I would be on as well. Um, if there's any, if there's any time that I'm not working with John, it's probably because there's some sort of a schedule conflict. Hmm. Um, that's what I hope. Uh, (laughs) I never know. I'm never sure, but that's, that's how I feel about working with John is that ideally, you know, whatever he's on next, I get, I would hope that I get first dibs on it. So, um, that's I, I can only hope <laughs>
0: yeah is there um is there still kind of a, a remaining kind of frontier for you in terms of like a genre that you haven't really hit, tan, tan, uh, sorry done yet that you really want to or just feel like that would push you in a different direction
1: um I uh that's a good question um I've kind of done a lot of genres um, That's what
0: I mean, right? Like, I mean, yeah,
1: and even, yeah, I mean, even, even to,
0: Ruse was like so different from other yeah, things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different things that I've, that I've sort of already hit on. There are, are things that I would love to revisit, like fantasy, or um, I would love to maybe do um, something that takes place underwater, because I love underwater scenes. Mm. Um, but I don't know if I could do an entire book like that, but that would sure be a challenge. Uh, and I would love to, to try that out. Um, uh, you know, I would I would actually like to, you know, I keep saying this every year, and I haven't done it, but I would like to branch out and do some of my own sort of storytelling at some point.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> I've worked so long in this field doing what I do that it's kind of hard to jump into something else. So, mm. um, but uh, you know, this I think there's there's. There's opportunity. There's always opportunity to push myself in a different direction, color-wise, to um, to get myself out of uh, you know out of the same old story, you know, out of the same old palettes that I that I sometimes feel like I fall back on. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I know that people that you know that um, editors and writers and artists seek me out for the palette that I use. Or for you know, for the the look that I give but I would like to do something different where it's like, okay, I, I can't think in this, in, in my normal language, I have to now think in a different mm-hmm. language, like I was reading um, I was recently reading let me find, hold on, it's in this pile of books here uh, Limbo, that was by um, uh, who's the artist? Wingard, I think it is Casper um, Wingard and Dan Waters, the art was Casper uh, Wingard on it and it's Nothing like I would have done The colors are amazing But I was actually like Why are these colors this way? What Why Tell me You know It was Like this one character is always blue His skin is always blue He's not an alien He's just a dude who's blue Um, And I'm like "But, But why? You know Is he dead? Is this What is this? And as I went through the story I'm like Oh okay Okay I'm picking this up now okay I'm, I'm seeing where this is going I still don't fully understand the color language but it's like it's like listening to music that's spoken you know sung in a different language you're like this is beautiful mm-hmm. I don't know what they're saying but it's beautiful so <laughs> you know um, um, I'm constantly amazed by some of the work that like uh, Marty Gracia is doing or mm-hmm. um, or uh, um, uh, Matt Wilson because they're uh, they're thinking in completely different uh expressions of color than i than i'd normally default to and uh, that's it's exciting to me to see that it's exciting to me to see new newer colors coming up new people coming up like uh people who've come from animation people who are who are coming in from from uh completely uh, from fields that i never was into like anime and manga and uh Video games and, and uh, places like that, and they're bringing that visual language into it. And I'm like, this is completely alien to me because I don't play video games. I don't, you know, I was never really into manga or anime. So visually, again, it's a whole other language that I'm like, tell me more. I, I wish to understand. I wish to, uh, I wish to see this new world and see it through your eyes. So um, there's always something else out there that I'm, I'm going to want to try. Or I'm just super nervous about trying because it is so visually specific that I'm like, I don't know if I can pull this off.
2: Mm. Um,
1: There was a a project I actually turned down because it was very um, anime uh, uh, and manga specific. And I'm like, this is such a strong specific look that I am – I barely – Touched my toes, and I don't know this language, um, mm. and I and it would take me forever to learn it. It would. It, there, you are, are you back? Okay, yeah. Okay. And it would take me forever to learn that language, and it would take me forever to learn that language, and to get up to speed when another colorist could just jump in and do a great job. So,
2: mm.
1: you know, let that other colorist experience that, and I'll kind of stay in my lane over here. So, you know, sometimes I, I get intimidated, and by these, you know, by by stepping too far out of that comfort zone. And I don't
0: do it, and I should challenge myself more. So, um, yeah. One, I'll, I'll let us finally close out, and I, I thank you so much for spending so much of your time with us. Um, in sure. terms of current work, I'm curious. We've talked before about how AVX was kind of about marrying the the visual language of the two different kind of. Uh, two different areas, you know, the, the Mm X-Men and the Avengers, which always had kind of a a different design sense and a different feel to Mm -hmm. them. And now you're kind of working on a book where you get to meld together the, the fantastic four and the X-Men who are again, very different color palettes. And you're also doing it over the Dodson's who again, have a very, you you know, very recognizable. Like you kind of know when you look at the art, if that's the Dodson's. So how is it to kind of encompass all that in your work? You're marrying these two visual languages of these two very different teams uh, and, and families and worlds. And then you're also working on, you know, an artwork like the Dodson's. Oh,
1: there we go. I think you're back now. So, um, yeah, with uh, – I, th- I think when I am um, trying to incorporate, you know, like two teams or two, two different visual worlds into one book like that where, you know, it's a, it's a crossover or something, I tend to revert to what the artists want uh, ultimately. It's like, you know, okay – uh, they've already done the hard work in in creating the pages and creating the, the you know the storytelling on the page itself and now I am just going to follow their lead so uh, with with uh, with Terry and Rachel I I literally just had a bunch of again I had a bunch of reference open that was that was Terry's work that you know that Terry and Rachel had done and uh, and I just studied their their Colors in their visual language, and that helped me understand where they were going with the book. So I didn't think so much in terms of you know the X Men look and feel versus the FF look and feel. I was more concerned with the Dodson look and feel, mm. um, and that's probably it's that's a little easier for me to think on because if I think about the you know the the vast history of all the ways that the FF have been you know have been depicted throughout time and space uh, that's a lot that's a whole lot of visual information mm-hmm. um, and it's its actually too much I, I need to I can't incorporate all of that I need to just be able to uh, I just need to know what color blue
2: <laughs> what color black what color
1: white uh, you know I need to make sure that Reed's hair is right and that Sue has you know pretty hair and that, that, that all the blondes have gorgeous hair because you know that's what the Dodsons do um, and uh, and also uh, understand you know what happened in House of X uh, because this came right out of that series, so you know there was a lot of there are a lot of components and scenes that were going on you know in Krakoa that, that I were brought right into my book so I needed to use those visuals as well. Um, I, I I look more to the immediate needs of the page than I do the whole overarching uh, story and and the you know the history of the characters it's just it's just easier for me to deal with what's on the page <laughs> <laughs> like let me just let me just get through this page and then we'll get on with the rest of it <laughs> what
0: what can you tease about what's coming up next for you and not just obviously on avengers uh sorry ff x-men sorry um but what, what other products can we look forward to seeing from you soon
1: well i'm actually done with the uh, ff the uh, um ffx men book uh i am currently working on um another ff project um i think it's it it has been announced right i can talk about it okay uh, i had to double check uh with uh, mark wade and neil adams
0: oh yes um, okay i didn't yes, realize you're doing the colors on that that's exciting yes
1: i am i am working on ff uh, fantastic four antithesis um and uh uh, I've I've met Neil. I've coded some of his stuff. Um, we've we've chatted about color and about you know about working together. We chatted last I think we, I forget which convention we were at. I think it was Denver maybe um, last year when you know we just, we talked about working together and you know here we are. So um, I'm learning what that you know what his influences are on this and. So I'm, you know, I'm looking back on the classic FF stuff and how it was handled, and how you know bright and fun it was, and um, uh, and also bringing you know a lot of a lot of special effects to it that you know weren't available back in you know the pre pre um, digital days. Mm-hmm. So it again, it's a learning curve. Neil has very specific ideas, and um, uh, and I'm glad that he is. That he's sharing them with me. I'm very happy to be on board with that. So, um, it's it's interesting that you know, uh, this is this is a big project, and I want to make sure I get it right. So, yeah. <laughs> you well, know,
0: it, it's it's almost as like you have a bingo card of your own where you're kind of ticking off <laughs> the biggest names yeah. in, in in visuals and comics. Right. You know, you know, like these these absolute legends. Like you're getting, you know, you've been doing yeah. work with Walt. Now you have. You know Neil yeah. Adams. I mean, Neil Adams is on a, a Mount Rushmore of his own for comics. Right? So, I mean, like who is left on that card? Who's still alive? I
1: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm. I it's a, it's an honor. It's a real honor to to be working with these guys. And uh, um, you know, I, I I I'm constantly humbled that I I get to work with these with these legends mm-hmm. and to make them happy and to show them what I can do and and bring a you know uh, um, and to to, uh, to i don't want to say to bring a modern aesthetic because that sounds like oh my god they haven't worked since the 1960s that's completely wrong <laughs> them, obviously but you know to to um, to just you know share in the um, in in the visuals with these guys and to, to listen to their stories and, and see and just hear their histories and you know it's just, it's it's really a cool thing i love it it's just fantastic
0: in the past couple of years, you've done some covers for you know Conan books. I'm surprised you haven't done any interiors yet.
1: Yeah, uh, me too. Actually, I would I would like to because that's you know that I like that sort of fantasy. Um, you know, d- the the world that Conan is in is very gritty and fantasy oriented, and and I love that stuff. I loved working. You know, it reminds me of the uh, of working on. Um I could I could totally see bringing that sort of Frozetta aesthetic to Conan as well um, I think it would be a lot of fun um, One of the I think I mentioned in the last episode that um, the the first non-kids comic that I ever saw was an issue of Conan mm-hmm. and uh, that would be uh, it was like a completely different world. I was like I was used to Disney ducks and mice and things you know <laughs> little kids books and then suddenly there was this issue of Conan and I'm like what is this completely different thing that I'm looking at here so yeah it would be fun to it would be totally fun to do this Conan story at some point yeah
0: what do you th- I, I, I promise this is my last question um, okay. what- <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I've already said it a couple times so I'm, at this time I promise for for real um <laughs> what do you think it would be like to ever you know again you, you kind of mentioned you know kind of the the funny animal comics of kind of, of, of youth for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Would you ever want to color something like that? Like,
1: Oh heck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it would be a a whole lot of fun to do a kid's book. Uh, that's something I've never done. And, um, well I did, I did some Archie stuff and that was super exciting because I read Archie as a kid Mm -hmm. and, uh, I never thought I would ever, you know, work on Archie. That's a trip. That's a crazy trip for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if if I ever, um, if anybody ever out there wants me to work on a kid's book, uh, let me know because that would be fun. I would love to try that. Um, yeah, it, it would it would be a whole different, uh, another different aesthetic that I've never actually jumped into. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: Excellent. absolutely. All right, well, Laura, thank you so much. I mean, we we meant to go an hour, went two, so I'm so sorry, but also very appreciative. <laughs> Um, it's been great talking to you and going through your career and i'm always excited to see your name on the credits because i know you're going to get a great visual experience there
2: you
1: are
0: sorry it's okay i was just saying that you always know when you see laura martin's name that you're going to get a high quality visual experience
1: oh thank you i appreciate that
0: well actually i did have one question um I, I I already breaking my rule, but I'm I'm going to say it anyway. I'm just always curious. So you you had already established your career, and then you did you got married and you changed your name. I'm always curious. Yep. How much did you have any deliberation when you did that? Because you already had built a, started building your career using your previous name.
1: I, I there was a debate, and there was actually one issue of ruse that I was credited as as Dupuis Martin. Uh, uh, it was kind of the bridge issue, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. I uh, ultimately, I thought I was like nobody knows how to pronounce my last name Martin, so much easier. Uh, I'll just be a Martin. And <laughs> it was funny because because it's funny now because when I go to conventions, people will bring up books that are colored by Frank Martin and I'm like, oh, Ron Martin, sorry. Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it happens. Wouldn't
0: have happened to well. with Dupuis. <laughs> yeah.
1: Never happened with Dupuis. You're right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that was oh, my that fun. Just, look, that, that was I my one
1: no, well, I ahead. just wanted to share this one little story um, on on one of the issues uh, right after I changed my name on Ruse. It was uh, I, I think it was like issue thirteen or something. Um, uh, I had it was the the scene that was taking place was uh, it was kind of a dark scene. I think it may have been in a cave or. A
0: Oh, Sorry, I, I lost part of a, that story. You started talking about the oh, case. Oh, sorry. Uh,
1: the, um, the issue of Ruse, uh, where I did change my name, um, uh, was a little bit uh, a little darker and a little bit less, um, less visually interesting than some of the other issues I'd done. It wasn't as visually popping as some of the other issues I'd done. So there, there was this review that somebody wrote of the issue where they were like uh you know hey the storyline blah 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 with this you know this the story so and so but with the colors and eh, they weren't great i don't know who this laura martin is but she can't hold a candle to laura dupuy and <laughs> i had to laugh my ass off i was like you got me there it was a terrible issue i didn't do a great job but by the way
2: <laughs> oh that's just, like, funny the, the, the
1: laura martin couldn't hold a candle to laura dupuy that was great
0: that's so funny so, Right, so,
1: <laughs> <that's hilarious>.
0: Actually, <laughs> w- w- which name is on your Eisner?
1: Uh, Dupuy uh, okay. on the. Wait, I got to check now. I'm, I'm not sure if the Dupuy is on the second one too. Yeah, it must be on the second one as well, because I got that one. No, that was in 2002. i'm sorry I, I lost you did you catch that
0: no i didn't catch it no
1: oh i'm sorry yeah uh i pretty i'm quite sure that the first one had Dupuis on it but i don't know about the second one i'm actually gonna have to go and look because it may have martin on it
0: so it's, um, it's possible that, was, that Dupuis may have two more than you
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's very possible i don't know
0: <laughs> that's too funny oh,
1: that's too funny uh, all
0: right well again laura thank you so much this has been great and uh you. yeah it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show
1: thank you i really appreciate it i was glad to be here